This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Eric O'Branson, and with me as always is my good friend and co-host, Joe Peterson. How's it going tonight, Joe? Hey, it's going pretty good. How are you? Oh, doing pretty good. I can't believe we are got this many episodes. I was just going to say what episode this even is, and now I lost the number, but man, we're up there. Isn't it like 130? 120? Yeah, maybe. I was going to say 129. Maybe okay. we're at 130. I think you're right. Anyway, either way, yeah. Still thinking back, like, oh, let's try six of these in a year and see how yeah, it goes. Yeah, this is. We'll see this how 130 that episodes. So episode number 130 of the Video Card Podcast tonight. So wow, yeah. And we're doing a bonus Christmas one. Like this wasn't planned. This was this was not planned. Thrown no, in just, last week. Just kind of like randomly was sitting there on the list, and I I just kind of had this shock of memory, like, wait a second, this is kind of a Christmas movie, I think, and I I went and looked it up, and like, yeah, it is, so we're gonna throw another, a bonus holiday feature at you uh, this week, so, um, yeah, looking forward to that. Other than that, getting ready for holidays here, by the time this airs, it will have gone past, so I hope everybody, uh, this will be the first, I think this will be airing in a new year, so let's go ahead and throw out those wishes that 2021 is a whole lot better than 2020. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so I think our air date for this, as long as all goes well, is New Year's Day, so you're officially in 2021. If you're hearing this, you made it. <laughs> oh, fuck is that, God? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where... You don't want to say, oh, it could, it could have been worse. Because, you know, yeah, but don't tempt fate. Um, yeah. I mean, it could have been worse. Like, we could have gotten hit by an asteroid or something. Like, there's there's not... There's always a worse, dude, right? keep but, like, in mind, you're still recording this ahead of that date. Oh, you're <laughs> so right, you're right. We, got, we, have, we, we have actually quite a bit of time before the... <laughs> got the like a week and a half before so. that shit actually happens. Shit. Some, some terrible... Be terribly ironic if some awful stuff happens between... Well, I mean... It's 2020, and we still have, you know, 30 days of the Trump presidency and all that. So there's bound to be some awful stuff but here in between here and there. But And, and yeah, anyway. I've, I've already run into a couple of people that, are, you know, are already expressing a variety of emotions about that. Like, oh, everything's going to be great when we get rid of Donald Trump, and everything's going to be terrible when we get rid of Donald Trump. But, like, the reality's okay. in between. Hang on. <laughs> yeah. The hang it's It's a very, like... You know, shrug the shoulders and in kind of giving up, giving in to like, yeah, it it'll be better, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, I guess, anyway. yeah. But uh, so, where did you learn about this one, this film? Um, well, this one being, uh, let's go ahead and uh, tell you what the third holiday film here that we're reviewing is, and that is 2003's Dead End. Bit freaked out that we are the only car on the road right now. It's 7:30 already, darling. 
Yes, I'm aware of that, Laura. I thought we'd come to a junction by now. Stop! I saw a woman in the forest. Cool, Dad's tripping out. Oh my God! What the hell was that? <laughs> you guys suck. What are you talking about? I saw Brad in a car. Who are these people in the woods? Don't come over here for God's sake. Pregnant. I smoke pot. Talk about a merry fucking Christmas. What if she gets it first? Who? Lady in white. Don't worry. She's dead. You bitch! Written and directed by Jean-Baptiste Andrea, I suppose it's Andrea, and uh, Fabrice Canepa. I'm sorry, I'm terribly butchering the French uh, names, my apologies uh, on that one. But um, I don't remember where I came across this one, but I remember that I came, I I, at one point was owned this on DVD, um, bought it sight unseen like I hadn't seen I read about it or something probably in a magazine I was doing that thing when uh, years ago when I was subscribed to Fangoria where um the what was his name like I don't remember the guy that actually wrote it but called himself Dr. Cyclops was oh their, right uh, yeah like, yeah their, their video reviewer and he'd always have a DVD of the month kind of thing and I usually just pick them up like you know order them or whatever it's like all through college I did that and just I found some really great movies that way and I think that's where I got, I can't say for sure, but I'm pretty sure that's where I came across this. I know that it's one I bought without seeing and then watched and then subsequently through my like purging most of my DVDs at one point, which I regret doing, <laughs> but yeah. I did. And um, I think it, it, you know, was sold and I don't have it anymore. But so it was one that kind of was in the back of my head as like a faint memory. Like I, I kind of knew what it was about. Like I had a picture and I kind of knew who the cast was. I remembered... Um, you know, Ray Wise and Lynn Shane especially being the stars of it. And um, just uh, kind of was just sitting back there totally in my subconscious uh, until I was scrolling through Tubi one day and saw that it was on there. And I went, oh, I remember that movie. I think I kind of liked that one. I threw it on the list. And then the other day when we were trying to figure out what was next after the whole Christmas thing, I'm like, oh, wait a second the light bulb goes off like I think that one was kind of a Christmas movie and, and it is at least it it's, takes place uh, with a family traveling to a, a holiday get together mm-hmm. um, and speaking of that should get you guys a little synopsis of the film um, Dead End is a 2003 French horror film uh, it tells the story of a dysfunctional family who find themselves on a never ending road in the middle of the forest during a routine drive on Christmas Eve and more or less that's that's what the movie's about. Mm-hmm. Um, had you ever heard of this one before? Or was this a like total total I blind? I hadn't heard of it, but once I saw the the image, this like the cover art for it, the poster mm-hmm. for it, I remember seeing it somewhere. Whether it was passed around on a streaming service like Tubi or Pluto, or in a video store in 
2003 or 2004, either one. I, I had never seen it, though, didn't know of the cast until I started looking into it before I watched it. It was like, oh, Ray Weiss, I like him. Um, yeah. Lynn Shea, she's fantastic. Um, you know, so I hadn't heard of it, but I I turns out that I had been in, in its proximity before. Let's put it that way. <laughs> right. Yeah, and um, that... The cast is what's I think the most the, the thing that kind of jumps out at you right away and and it's interesting about it, and I think what's cool about this cast is it, it is led by not only two uh, older actors, mm-hmm. uh, but also two like really great character actors that are so good in so many things that they're in, but but rarely have you seen in a starring role in anything, um, outside of Ray Wise obviously his turn on Twin Peaks. Um, He's usually kind of just a you know an interesting character actor. Uh, Lynn Shea has become quite famous through some of the uh, the James Wan horror movies. I think mm-hmm. she's done a bunch of. Uh, I think it's the what are they called uh, Insidious films that she's yeah. in all of. But um, but she used to turn up in all kinds of stuff. There's just bit parts here and there, and it's uh, she's always good or memorable or funny. I mean, she does she can do it all. Um, and she is. Uh, I remember her as the mom in um, what is it, Detroit Rock City? It's one of my favorite. Oh, one of my one of my favorite Lynn Shay early Lynn Shay career things is um, even though she is in Critters to the main course in '88, mm. um, she's uh, also in Dumb and Dumber. She has a very short part, but her, she's Magda in something about Mary. Oh right, yeah. Which was... I thought you were going to say Kingpin because I remember that one too. Oh uh, God, yes, she is in Kingpin. <laughs> I mean, she's got some lines in that that are, yeah, she's in so much stuff. She's, she's in a ton of stuff and she's always kind of a face, not really a name until you go back and realize that no, she actually has this incredible career. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, a lot of doing B movies, but you know, yeah, the, the, the insidious movies, um, really, I think brought her mainstream in a serious way. Yeah. So yeah, the, the the story focuses on the Harrington family. Ray Wise plays the father, kind of patriarchal father. Lynn Shay, kind of stereotypical, you know, nuclear family, white Midwestern. Although I think they're on the East Coast actually, but like, yeah, nuclear family, um, Reagan era nuclear family, kind of on their way to um, her mother's house, the Dwight's mother, a grandmother's house uh, on Christmas Eve or somewhere around there. And the father, Ray, Frank Harrington, decides to take a, you know, they do this trip every year, many times every year. He decides he's just bored with the interstate and he's going to take a shortcut. Pretty, pretty cliche from the, from the um, standpoint of what the actual plot of the movie is, I think, in a lot of ways. And that's right up to me, for me, right up till the end. There's a lot of cliches, especially but right around this time, 2003. Um but it's it's kind of about what is going on between the characters and you know the family unit just kind of d- dissolving throughout this process or throughout what they're going through this you know series of horrific events um and it's also about per- like great performances from you know essentially these two main um character actors that you don't always get to see but um yeah it's an interesting interesting script because it takes something like the lost on, and obviously we we always I, I've beaten around the bush like we're not going to talk spoilers. We always talk spoilers. So if you haven't watched Dead End, it's free on Tubi. You know, 
hit pause and go check it out and come back and join us if you haven't watched it yet, if you have an interest and don't want it spoiled. But the the cliches it kind of deals with is, you know, the long, long, dark, never-ending road kind of thing we've seen before. It's kind of got a, like a Twilight Zone-esque kind of repeating um, morality tale kind of situation. And then um, certainly the kind of purgatory-esque uh quote-unquote twist ending that we get to at the end and that what what the characters have been going through is something we see an awful lot of in the late 90s and early uh, 2000s um, in horror films, in suspense thrillers. Uh, pretty much everything after The Sixth Sense tries to work this in, in some way, including the television series Lost, and we've all talked about... Or we've all heard my, me talk about my feelings about that one. Um, but... How did this one strike you? Like, it's, it's narrative, and um, I guess let's start with kind of the, the characters, both both as actors and characters, and kind of what they, you know, um, kind of the journey they go through throughout this film. And, and did you find it to be as interesting, as interesting as I did? Because that's what was memorable to me about this movie. It wasn't really all the other stuff, like the, you know, the ghost story sense of it or the kind of trapped in a loop. It was more about these characters and what, what the script did with them that was interesting. But. So first and foremost, the the film kept my attention the entire time, uh, and and that is that is praise. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's more praise because there were a lot of things about the story that really confused me. Um, and and the performances are great. I just have questions as to how they were utilized. Like <laughs> I can't still tell. If this is trying to be a dark comedy, (laughs) or if it's a legit trying to be a serious horror film, because... And it's okay if you're a film that's trying to do both, but this switches its tone so quickly from moment to moment. Mm -hmm. It is rather disorienting. Um, But it still kept my attention, and I think that's because of... Ray Wise and Lin Shay in this. As far as some of the other casting goes, um, <laughs> yeah. Oh Jesus! The so Alexandra Holden as Marion, who's like the the older daughter. She's she's fine in it. She's good. Yeah. Uh, she's perfectly. Mick Kane yeah, as perfectly Richard, fine. who's like the younger brother. Oh, God. Yeah. I I don't. And this is nothing against the well, actor. You know, Mick did a fine job. I guess I just don't know what the hell that cat character was wh- doing. What. What is up with characters like that? It's a, it's a note I made like right off the bat. Like, seem to pop up in movies all the time right around this era. Um, that are just like the biggest, like jerks. Um, <laughs> for lack of a better term, I had a lot of uh, different yeah. things come go through my head. But like, um, is this like a two thousand? Like, I feel like it's a two thousands thing. Like it, like that that decade. Like you know, back when people thought like Fred Durst was a cool guy, and all this stuff. <laughs> um, it's he's just such a like overly played morally like reprehensible character but they just keep making it worse like piling it on and making him more obnoxious and more like anyway richard's like the younger brother and yeah it's um it gets to a point where it's not even like it it starts to push past suspension of disbelief because i think that's something that's you know horror films in general are criticized about is how the characters respond realistically or not to a situation. I mean, that was the whole, you know, the the abstract, I guess, if that would have been the the, the pitch for the movie Scream, right? Is why do people yeah. do certain things in slasher movies? And in this case, 
why is the the youngest son who's not like little kid he's probably in his 20s um oh yeah he's like at the very end of high school at the youngest like he's probably even a bit older than why is he doing dumb unrealistic shit like oh our we're we're having some weird stuff happen on our drive through the woods and we stopped because of crazy shit i'm gonna go wander off in the woods and masturbate to a porno (laughs) mag who does that's one of the weirdest moments in the movie like at what point did like and so that's it that's what distracted me is because i'm going okay somebody had to write that and somebody else had to go yeah yeah yeah, keep that that didn't (laughs) get cut but why to me i mean it is all about that line you were talking about that it skates in between being a dark comedy and being a horror suspense film um and it doesn't necessarily like explain itself to you when it crosses in between the two and that character is just entirely over overdone and it seems intentional i'm not sure what the filmmakers like what what their intention was at the end of the day on making richard so obnoxious and so unlikable um but to me they have such a good grasp on characters like frank and laura um oh yeah that they gotta have some reason for doing that it just didn't quite come out like i didn't get it all the way well like, Lin, and I, I, Lin Shea gets a few moments of 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 comedy yeah yeah but it's it's really uncomfortable yeah she gets some great moments they each each and this is this reminds me kind of like a twilight zone as script in this way and definitely the season when twilight zone extended to the hour long and they kind of did a did more of these kind of character-based um, dramas, but it each character kind of goes through, the, like we said, it's, it's a journey for each of them in a way, um, but they each kind of take their turn being like the crazy one, the one that's like losing it, and then they kind of, you know, I'll take a deep breath and they'll come back to the fold. So um, Laura, or Lin, Lin Shay's character, Laura, the mother, um, actually holds out the longest before she gets her turn to like lose her shit. Um, but yeah, after she does, she has some some great moments of dark, uncomfortable humor, <laughs> um, where she gets to use like I think a lot of people are used to seeing Lin Shay in roles that are a little more on the comedic side, and um, it's to use some of that talent that she has. But it's just if I look at the the two weirdest comedic moments are Richard and then Laura. So Richard being again the youngest, doing things like. I brought up the porno mag in the woods. Um, yeah, the the jerking off in the woods scene is the weirdest scene in the entire movie because it's totally unnecessary. Because I feel like the scene is there 100% to set up what's going to happen to him with the woman in white, like uh, yeah. when she kind of seduces him in the woods. But, like, why do we need to explain at all? Or why do we need a scene to set up that a 20-year-old dude that, that like Richard, is going to be attracted to, you know... The woman you in you white. could have had him go out and take a leap <laughs> yeah, in the woods yeah. and get a little turned around for a minute and run into her and had the same scene. It was yeah. just a really odd choice for why they put in the comedy there and have him do something that's totally unrealistic. And then Lynn Shay's, her, Laura's comedic moments is when she's really dealing with grief mm-hmm. and she's eating an entire chocolate pie and then just acting silly and goofy and it's it's when richard does weird comedic things it's confusing when she does it it's really sad 
Because yeah. you know, like, there's a trauma thing here. Right, and, and you get you get that about choice. Laura with with Richard. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't, but we don't get any of that ahead of time. Like, we don't know anything about his character. He's just acting like a douche essentially, and um, from the get go, he's just this obnoxious, you know, jerk. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, that's a weird. You know, the thing that bothered me with the Richard scene, especially with the porno scene, um, the most is that the scene doesn't make sense at all, but like the thing out of everything in it that bugged me the most is he stuck that damn magazine thing on a tree with a piece of gum. Do you think that's possible to do? <laughs> I don't know. And you know what? There's the thing. Like, I don't know anybody who would be willing to try because that's such yeah. a, like, who does that? It's yeah. just, you know, and I, this is beyond, it's just like, so oh, there's a killer in your house and you run upstairs. This would This is the, like, there's a killer in your house and you start like clucking like a chicken it's that absurd <laughs> yeah it's it's an absurd scene and and to me it seems like i feel like they had to have had a reason i just don't get what it was <laughs> like i still don't get this is the second time i've seen it and i'm i don't understand but anyway richard is a terribly obnoxious character that can't get killed off soon enough in this movie and um he was a misstep i think i like the dynamic between the other three family members and even the boyfriend like uh i forget what his name Brad, was but yeah brad yeah of course it was brad yeah um and he uh i think that dynamic all worked really well richard was just overdone too much like it i think an obnoxious little brother would have been fine he should have been a little younger he should have been a little less like i don't know i don't even know what the word is for this kind of person we've all met somebody like this oh yeah <laughs> but never that bad though no, no, he's because if you did, I don't mature. know anybody who'd hang out with him. I mean, right. it was like it, it, it's strange. Now, moving past that, though, yes, the Marion Frank Laura descent into madness is interesting. Again, I love Lynn Shea in this. I just and her her comedy lands. It's just weird. Um, yeah. Its utilization is weird. Ray Wise does a fantastic job as Frank in this, as this kind of, I mean, it, it, it's something out of a mammoth play, if mm-hmm. I can really be so bold as to say that. His character no, I, really reminded totally me agree. of something out of a David Mamet play. He is, uh, I think at the beginning of this, convinced that he is, you know, father of the year, essentially, and by the end of this, he's, he's uh, basically had to come face to face with facing himself as like a, an adulterer and also is a, a abusive to both his wife and daughter by the end of this and when he starts to lose control he reacts violently and um you know he's all of his cracks come, all, all of his flaws come like leaking out through this situation and as they you know drive further and further into madness <laughs> like the, we always talk about because we're, we're both you know lovecraft fans we always mm-hmm. talk about movies being lovecraftian and that's certainly something that you could say about this movie is that it's, it's about that kind of like lovecraftian descent into madness um but also it's about it's got that kind of purgatory thing to it where it's about facing you know people facing their demons i also feel like it's about the deconstruction of like the American nuclear family kind of like looking past what you know you can see on the seasonally appropriate what you could see in the Christmas card photo or whatever right when you get in the um 
and that all of these people um, under, underneath the surface have, have all these demons that they're trying to hide from one another, even within their own like little space, you know, their family, the car or whatever, however you want to see the entrapment, the situation itself. But and they're all they're all forced to face down all these things before they're allowed out of the trap, whatever it is, however you want to read the ending. But yeah, I I don't know if I would go so far as to call this one Lovecraftian. I see what you mean with like the the, the madness thing, but really this one, if anything, its tones are a little more Jacob La- Jacob's Ladder mm-hmm. uh, or Carnival of Souls. Yep, those kind of things. Uh, but again, my biggest problem with this one is just they couldn't make up its mind what type of movie it wanted to convey to the audience if you want to do a mixture between serious horror and comedy that's fine there are ways to blend those this one just didn't sell me on it yeah it wanders back and forth without a without warning without warning (laughs) and it's not it's not woven in it's it's pretty jarring it's jarring when it does it uh well and sometimes there'll be something shocking like a scene of violence and um you know a family member being killed or, you know, something terrible. Um, and like one second it's being played for, it's shocking. It's having these devastating effects on people. And then the next second it's, you know, Richard, the kids like reaching his hand into the guts of the dead boyfriend, Brad, and, uh, they're making a joke out of it. So it's like, it's, it's somewhere in between those two things, but it's just, um, I know tonally reminds me a little bit of, and I know we talked about this, when, especially when we talked about the Takashi Miike movies we did. Um, Japanese cinema, especially horror and some of the, the more um, exploitation-y cinema that they produce ha- has something very similar to that where there isn't any, there's kind of like no bounds. Like it doesn't, it's not going to tell you it's funny. It's not going to tell you it's gross. It's going to be like a little bit of each all at the same time. And um I think the the movie Ichi the Killer was a good um, example of that, and certainly this is not in the same realm as that, but it's got some of that same unsettling, like, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be thinking here. Am I supposed to be laughing? Am I supposed to be, are they playing this for horror? Um, But I actually think, like, that's one of the things I found interesting about it. Does it always work? No. (laughs) Like, I don't get some of the stuff they did. Like, I don't understand some of the choices, but I I think I respect the the intent intent sometimes that it, it, it is it's doing something interesting that's a little different than many of its peers well and i'm glad you brought that up because when this came out in the early 2000s there's there were a lot of these kind of do i want to just say the spoil thing like where you gave a warning you're dead but you yeah. don't know it kind of yeah. purgatory <laughs> thing um i don't know how does this one compare with others you know, as an actual narrative, it's pretty typical. You know, they like they, they get into this horrific situation. Um, you know, the road keeps repeating itself. They're stuck in this loop. Turns out, like, oh, they're dead. Everybody who dies inside of the, you know, the the dead end road situation, the road to Marcot, which is that in the movie, there's this this sign that just oh. says Marcot on it um, that you assume is you know the next town down the road and they keep going past it over and over again and they figure out they're trapped in this road because they've just driven hundreds of miles and can't get anywhere um and then yeah they all end up like oh you know marion doesn't get caught by the hearse they're also being stalked by this you know kind of creepy old-fashioned hearse that every person that um 
dies in the film gets originally sees this like woman ghostly woman in white um is confronted in some way by her then ends up inside of this creepy old hearse uh is driven out you know where they is driven away in the hearse screaming banging on the back window of it whatever uh, a few miles down the road they'll end up dead mutilated on the road um it's pretty much everybody who dies inside of the whatever the fantasy world of this is whether the purgatory or whatever is somebody who actually ended up dying in the initial incident which in this is a car crash um so being more than about calling it a purgatory because i think in, in the like at least the dante's inferno sense of purgatory it purgatory is a place where you know you would kind of be able to as a as a sin riddled mortal or whatever be able to kind of do penance and earn your way back to um you know paradise earn your way up to heaven or whatever it is in the mythology but i'm not sure that's exactly the case of what's going on here um here it's more like you at the last in the last moments of your life you're actually having to face up to your demons and then when i see the ending of the film i realize at least to me that this is actually more about marion coping with demons the other characters actually are all just dead it's about her deconstructing her version of who her father was it's her deconstructing who her mother was her looking at a reality of who her brother and brad and all this you know this pregnancy that she's she she, she announces to her family after the they find the mutilated corpse of her boyfriend and she goes through you know a panic um that she's pregnant and that's obviously something her brain is reeling with as well so I actually think it's it's Marion as someone who's been trapped in this uncomfortable, quasi-abusive, stifling household her whole life, dealing with sh- ripping off the disguises of these people or these shells, you know, and, and looking at the real thing as she's coping with losing them in this incident. So that's the kind of stuff that's like really works or that really I think is a good idea. It isn't always executed perfectly. And you said compared to compared to other things, um, like I said, like the the the, cli- the plot itself is pretty cliche. It's not super interesting if you were to read on paper exactly how this movie goes beat for beat. You'd be like, yeah, I've seen that before. It's really that stuff about the deconstruction of of character and the way that the people, you know, these characters reveal themselves throughout, you know, dealing with this crisis. That's interesting about it. The story itself, the whole, um, you know, loop road and oh, it ends up they're all dead. That that kind of stuff is a dime a dozen, especially around this time period. But I don't know. What, what, what do you think? I guess I didn't I, compare it to anything I, specific, but well, no, no, I was just thinking in general. So that was, that's, that was cool. Um, I'm just thinking like how, how, the, how it works. Um, and it really kind of had to think like, so there's the big reveal at the end that, that, you know, uh, Marion's the only one who survived. Everybody else died. And if you think obviously with a collision like that, people they're all going to die but not immediately right like a few minutes maybe mm-hmm. within each other um is that reflective of the order in which they die in purgatory and are taken off right um mm-hmm. when they're willing to let go i guess and you know that's an interesting again going back to like something like jacob's ladder which is the one the big comparison one i would i would say which was done i feel much better than this but oh yeah yeah it's a different kind this of movie is, so that, that one's not it doesn't a compare to jacob's ladder really but 
yeah. yeah, this is this is not the same kind of movie. It's just the same general plot. Um, yeah, or concept, but it's a it's a different story. So I'm not trying to say it's a rip off or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I think it it's one of the unfortunate things after you get something like Jacob's Ladder and then it's done really really well again with something like Sixth Sense. Um, this is going to be a hard... This is a story that's a hard one to do well because it's been done well so many times. Yeah. That you have a lot to live up to and also a lot of fodder that didn't work to fall into. And I feel like this did more of the latter with some bright moments of the former. Yeah. I, I don't think this was a complete shit show by any means. There are some real gem moments in this. I just feel like it it failed too many times to be like up there with Sixth Sense, Jacob's Ladder. Like, think of movies about purgatory, uh, and, and where the reveal at the end is, "Hey, surprise, you're dead," um, or dying, or everybody else did. Uh, this one's it just didn't do it as much for me the performances of you know half the cast was good the other half was forgettable um and again i think this would make a good play but it didn't make a good feature film it'd be an interesting play yeah i was gonna say do it on stage would be interesting because i think it could be done that'd be yeah um yeah i I think it overall I, i i agree with that i think there's too much going on with the kind of like weird kind of shimmy back and forth between comedy and horror um the kind of twilight zone premise of it is cool um the way that you know it's a very serling-esque idea very deconstructing like the nuclear or the image of the perfect nuclear family by putting them in a situation where they're all kind of like face down with these literal demons that kind of bring out the the worst in them I don't think this movie actually pulls it off as much as it's like everything I said kind of was, you know, I, I've been praising it quite a bit and because I think there's stuff worthy of praise, but don't get me wrong. It does not really pull off. The twist ending feels forced. Um, when you finally figure it out, you're like, yeah, that's what I it, 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 it doesn't get over the sixth sense test. And that is within the first 20 minutes of this movie. Did you think the characters might be dead? Yes, you did. Did you end up being right? Yes, you did. <laughs> like, yep. So it's um, it doesn't really, f- you know, this is a post Sixth Sense movie. It, d- it didn't pass that test. I don't think the first time I saw it, I was surprised. Like it, it just, it was kind of the way it was going. By the time you get three quarters of the way through it, and you're in this like repeat kind of they're they're going down this road, the sign, everything, the whole process keeps repeating. I think it becomes very obvious where it's going. Um, the thing I think that it didn't. Uh, don't want to repeat myself too much because I, I just kind of explained at length, but I think the thing that I find really interesting about it is instead of each of the characters, if it being about each of the characters, I felt like, especially on my second watch, I really got this strong sense that it wasn't about each of the characters individually dealing with death or dealing with um, their purgatory. It was really about Marion dealing with, you know, analyzing her relationships with them and letting each of them go and in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that I thought was an interesting, like, that's the thing that, like, brings me back to being like, wow, there's some really, really smart, good stuff going on there. There's some really great scenes. There's some really great acting. There's some really great written scenes. It's funny, the same script that can give you that ridiculous <laughs> woodland masturbation scene <laughs> can give you, like, these really, really, like, tense 
great moments between Ray Wise as Frank and, and Lin Shay as Laura. Um, just oh, kind totally. of just, just the digs that I think one of the things like, and, and I, I grow just, I don't know, like growing up with parents, like generally of the same generation. I think one of the things that I found so believable and wonderful about their performances was the way that they fought with each other, like the little bicker and like mm-hmm. the, um, just super believable, <laughs> Uh, dialogue and just the way they approached all of it so it's... yeah that that was good like i said any moment between those two was was good it may not have fit the movie but it was good um i i just feel i can't get over the fact that this is a movie that you can that can be summarized by comparing it to other films it's like this is a cross yeah. between yeah. um you know the sixth sense and duel <laughs> yeah, and, and Groundhog's Day, <laughs> and you pretty much can figure out the plot there, you know. Um, but then again, like you said, there was a whole rash of these, and and this is not an uncommon theme at this point in you know film history. Uh, when yeah. when we get a lot of these, so it's it Dude. it it replaced the eighties. It was all a dream. And it turned, you know, it was all a dream turned into you've been dead the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's like, also that weird little stinger at the end in the credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you see that part? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. You know, where, yep. where the, the road crew finds the note that suggests that, no, it wasn't all just in her head. Right. Yep. So, and actually, I... I actually am a bit annoyed with that scene um, because it it takes everything that I was just praising about the movie and like throws it into like, oh, okay, well, maybe I just made all that up and they actually were just making a really stupid Sixth Sense ripoff. But um, yeah, it's just one of those things to I think it's it's a twist and it's a twist on the twist ending and that that in it just in its like the fact that you would write that kind of annoys me. But um, because it was so common, I think it's just like living through this era. And this was the era when I was, you know, the right age to be like, I was really watching a lot of damn movies and I saw so much stuff and it was so overdone. (laughs) Like this kind of, this is up there with like, like, this is up there with bullet time after the matrix. Yeah. Right. Yep. That's a good comparison. And yeah. So I thought the finding of the note was, um, I don't know. It was obnoxious. Because like, it just it they tied it up in a bow. Whether the bow worked perfectly or not, there at least were some good things there. Um, but that I don't know, and maybe I'm annoyed because it it ruins my reading of the film. That maybe it's a selfish or personal thing that I'm taking offense to. But, but that's yeah, fair I, I though. I mean, it's it, it's so. a it it throws like their their really bad example or attempt at a twist ending. With this mm-hmm. man in black showing up and the doctor driving off with him, which would never happen. Um, yeah, you well, know the doctor whose name happens to be Marcot, by the way, who like the... tells a total stranger a hell of a lot about these people. Oh yeah, <laughs> all he has to do to get her confidence to say, "Oh, I'm the guy who called it in," <laughs> and instead of saying, yeah. "Okay, well, I'm sure the police want to talk to you." She has a long conversation. He thanks her for something, I don't know what, and then offers her a ride, and she's like, why not? I'm like, well, a million reasons, but okay. Um, 
and then you find out now nah, that's all bullshit. It's just, it was weird, and it was it felt a bit sophomoric. Like we're gonna make it. Yeah. Here, here's here's the twist of the twist. Yeah, but it has to make. Yeah, sense. and all of a sudden it's like it's giving you these characters that you know you're all of a sudden following characters that weren't characters in the movie. Like they're totally different like people and i don't know it's 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 a it's a weird ending yeah um i was going to ask about that whole aspect of it and it seems like there was something kind of like intellectual or heady about this whole idea that uh of the you know ghostly woman in white and there being a you know man in black that drives the hearse um, they're credited that way um as th- their characters names are woman in white and man in black um, in some sense, within the you know within the the purgatory, the fantasy, whatever, they seem to work together. Uh, because it, it's always kicked off by an appearance of the woman in white, um, and then you know the hearse shows up, right. and I don't know, I can't, I can't for the life of me figure out anything within the narrative of this film that makes any of that like have any relevance. I was wondering if you caught it, like actually picked up on anything or cuz she's not like some like beacon of like it's not a good versus evil thing, I don't think. Like that's what I that's where my mind wanted to go with it cuz it's so cliché and I just figured this movie was going to do that, but it doesn't ever really develop. I just any No, thoughts? I I couldn't <laughs> find it either. And I was looking. I was trying to figure out where this relationship between these two comes in. And yep. who, what is he's death? Well, then why is he hanging around a hospital? Is he the devil? Is he what? What is the point of this? And I could not, for the life of me, figure it out. Well, and unfortunately, that boils it down to the explanation given by Doctor Marcotte at the end of this movie is. Oh, these were just all people that were around at your accident scene as your family was dying. So there's the guy that called it in, uh, the woman in white being the other car. She was the you know a woman yeah. with an infant that was killed. They were both killed in the accident. Um, and it, it boils it all down to just that. Like uh, that must be the truth of the movie. And then they throw that stupid note in at the end and ruin the whole thing because then no explanation makes sense. But um, yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, the whole actually, like man in black I, thing it was like they were trying to do something, but they didn't do anything with it. Yeah, like it just didn't. It didn't. It never played out, and it didn't really make sense to me what they were trying to say with that. So kind of like the entire character of Richard, where I just don't get the joke. I just I don't yeah. get the <laughs> like. Um, yeah, I did want to mention. We mentioned the note that they find in the road, and I, I hate. Although I very much did disliked that. You know, mid credit like um, kind of throwing a wrench in their entire movie. Uh, I did love one of my favorite moments of that. I did love that it revealed what he wrote down because I, I thought when there's a scene when um, Frank and, and Marion are talking about, you know, life and when they get out of here, what's the one thing they want to do? And, and he didn't want to tell her, but he he's afraid because he was afraid it wouldn't come true. So he just wrote it down on this piece of paper and um it, she, she's pregnant, and he already wrote down as, like, be the best grandfather ever, which obviously, once you've kind of looked into this guy, is probably not, like, a thing, but but it gives you this, like, really, like, bittersweet kind of take on Frank, because you've you pretty much lost Frank at this point. He's he's not, like, the greatest of guys. Like, you, you, you've seen through his, his facade, and, you know, f- ten minutes later in the narrative of this thing, he's beaten the hell out of his daughter, his pregnant daughter, so... Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it does give you this wonderful moment of complexity in a character, like somebody who does have the ambition right, to be better. Like, he, he feels a little bit of that, you know, excitement about, you know, that, that potential life that could, could be awaiting him. Um, but then, of course, fucks it up because he reacts violently to every situation he, he goes and in, gets into. But right. anyway, just uh, don't really have a question there, just uh, <laughs> an observation, but... Yeah, that's that's kind of the same same thinking I was having. It's like, okay, so yeah, okay, buy an Atari, be the coolest grandfather. But, you know, they throw that in there, but it just kind of screws up what the big reveal they just had. Yeah. So, why do it? Yeah, I feel like that was a... Just to do it. I feel like as a filmmaker, being so connected to that idea that they had to show what the note, you know, what the note said... Um, cause, cause it, you know, it's, it's kind of a wonderful moment, character moment, but being so connected to that idea that they had to put that scene in, even though it didn't make sense anymore based on the rest of it. So anyway, yeah, but, well, I think we're getting about to that time. Do you have I any like so. final thoughts um, on this? And honestly, other final thoughts. Like, um, <laughs> I, I really was I, I i said this at the very beginning it kept my interest you know it, it was well paced which i think is really what that reflects it was well paced uh the performances most of all were, were good for most of them it just kind of falls in with a lot of the other early 2000s horror movie tropes that don't mm. make a ton of sense to me and uh, I'm sure if I would have seen this back in 2003, I would have liked it a lot more because, you know, I was, it was still relatively new back then. And mm-hmm. it started fading shortly after this with movies like High Tension and so on. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I still think it's, it's worthy of the praise that it gets. I just don't think it's criticized as much as maybe it needs to be. Respectfully. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I, and I I pretty much agree. Did you did you have a grade for? Oh, a grade. Um, for this one, I'm actually gonna go with a C plus. I'm gonna go with a C plus. Okay. I thought that the performances, especially by Ray Wise and Lynn Shea, were just absolutely fantastic. Uh, even when she's doing her really oddly placed, kind of uncomfortable comedic stuff, it she's so good at it. You you just focus on her and forget the surroundings and the circumstances, and she's really quite funny. <laughs> Um, the the son is not funny. He's just a pain in the ass, and it's just <laughs> yeah. annoying even to the audience. It's not even like lovable pain in the ass. It's just pain in the ass. Ray yeah. Wise is a character you want to like more than you should, and that's always an interesting thing to do to your audience. Um, because he is not a nice guy, but you you like him because he's so good at what he's doing. Um, I thought the twist ending was just kind of superfluous. It could have been handled a little better. We didn't need a twist on a twist, and then we didn't need a twist on a twist on a twist. So, not really sure what was going. A little overly ambitious, maybe. But overall, it's it's worth a check out if you're looking at this era of movies about like the whole purgatory concept. I would definitely I would definitely throw this movie in with like other purgatory style films. Yeah, I think <laughs> honestly, I think we're gonna 100% agree, which I, I suppose happens more often than not. But 
I think for all practical purposes, this is pretty standard stuff for this era. Um, it's it's fine, like it's 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 well made enough, but the script doesn't. I don't know. It runs over like a dozen cliches throughout this thing, uh, right up to the like twist ending. Um, however, I think like the the journey that the characters go through and the kind of like breaking these these projected facades and then like digging down into like the, the real demons that are haunting this family um, all of that stuff is really really good stuff so there's underneath the kind of oh gosh another purgatory movie or oh gosh another they're all dead ending you do have this like uh, really great kind of sense of it, it really being about something so it's like breaking through and again I'll, I'll reiterate I really think it's a critique upon like you know a white American um, nuclear family unit. Like, you know, the the two, you know, mom, dad, 2.5 kids is exactly what they, you know, what we see here. And it's just kind of like breaking through that, that image of perfection and seeing what's really going on underneath the skin. Um, I think that stuff is what's good about this movie, but there's so much other stuff that is kind of, kind of detracts from that. And I think you really have to like give it a really, really big chance to win you over like it really wasn't until like the second time i watched this that i really like it really won me over with all the like kind of what was going on in the subtext of this movie and and just how wonderful all of that was um because i think if you could you could certainly sit through this thing if you're just kind of half paying attention and think oh well that was just another one of those movies you know uh, six cents ripoffs mm-hmm. um so yeah i think i'm gonna land exactly where you were at i'm gonna give this one a c plus as well it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination um just richard himself is enough to drag this down a letter grade um but i think there's enough cool stuff going on and god you gotta love ray wise getting a starring role in something especially something meaty like this where he really gets to show you how what a talented guy he is so um, well i think that's yeah. a, that's a perfect way to sum up the 2020 holiday season in general is just a <laughs> it's a c plus it's a meh it's a <laughs> it's right. a, 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 a uh, a hair's breadth of optimistic meh, you know. <laughs> it seems appropriate. It it really yeah. does. But uh, we would love to know what any of our listeners thought of Dead End, or if you have any anything to add in conversation points regarding the kind of purgatory trope that we see in the late '90s, especially early 2000s. Please feel free to send any of those questions comments criticisms or witticisms to the video junkyard podcast at gmail.com you can also find us on twitter at video junk pod or find us on facebook at the main video junkyard podcast page or the video junkyard podcast group uh we'd love to hear from you and if you write we'll be happy to read it on our next episode and coming up on the video junkyard podcast we are going to be looking at the 1990 Stuart gordon directed science fiction film robot jocks sweet and uh i know this is one that you've been looking forward to and mine as well this is one i've actually one i've seen that i haven't seen in years and remember really really liking and then other people have told me oh don't rewatch that one so i've been warned but we're gonna do it anyway you know this is one (laughs) yeah just a pre i i remember i know i've seen it but i remember nothing about it so oh cool this will be a fun it'll be a uh, a a first time all over again for this one yeah so but uh sounds uh sounds good looking forward to it and uh 
want to thank everybody once again, of course, for con- uh, for checking out the Video Junker podcast. Please feel free to share this around to anybody else you know that likes uh, podcasts where people review movies. I know there's not many of those out there, so you know. No, we're I think we're. There might be two or three others. Very narrow but, niche market. Yeah. So, yeah, please feel free to share this around. <laughs> um, and once again, we would love to hear any uh, comments from you. And we hope that everybody here had a very happy, healthy, and safe holiday season. So until next time, this is the Video Junkier Podcast. I'm Joe Peterson. I'm Eric Branson. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go? Go. Stay on the road. Keep clear to the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast. On Twitter, at Video Junk Pod, and on Instagram, as Video Junkyard Podcast, all one word. Want to thank you again for listening, and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the Video Junkyard. Hello fellow time travelers, I'm Tony Witt with the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the podcast in which we undertake the insert adjective here task of discussing in story order all of the Doctor Who novelizations. I'm joined by... Dalton Hughes. And by... Alison Fitzsafry. And we record our episodes twice a month. You're listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. Enjoy your travels.